You know, this is the time of year when you hear a lot about Christmas miracles. All kinds of stories. You see them on the news about Christmas miracles. Uh, in fact, I googled that phrase just last night, and it amazed me to find 34 million results when I googled Christmas miracles. But then I, I was thinking this morning, did I really look at that correctly? And I was amazed to find out something else. I googled the exact same phrase this morning, Christmas miracles, and I didn't get 34 million results, but I got this time 34,200,000 results. 200,000 more miracles occurred between this morning and last night. All kinds of, I didn't read a lot of the stories, just read some of the headlines. I think one of my favorite was this, Christmas miracle, house passes continuous bill to avert shutdown. I would agree it is a miracle when Congress does something. I would just agree with that. But it's not just in politics, and it's not just in the newspapers and the headlines where you see about Christmas miracles. I mean, it's in the movies too. Probably one of your favorite Christmas movies is The Miracle on 34th Street. That's right. How many of you have seen that so far this year? It was on just the other night. Some of you missed it. Don't worry. It'll be on another two or three, four hundred times between now and Christmas. Some of you don't need a miracle on 34th Street. You need a miracle on your street, don't you? You need a miracle where you live. For some of you, this has been a very hard year in different ways. You've had to say goodbye to somebody that you love this year. Or you're dealing with an illness that has been emotionally, physically, maybe even financially draining. Or you've been trying to hold a marriage together this year that's just in pieces. And all you've got left is the broken pieces, but you're still trying to hold it together. Or perhaps you've been struggling with personal problems that just never seem to end. You go to this counselor and to that psychologist and this person and that person and, and this friend and this pastor and this, and you just keep going place to place to place to place to place and, and it's just a personal burden for you that just never seems to end. More than anything else, for some of you, you need a miracle on your street. Which brings me to the Bible. Have you ever noticed how the New Testament begins? Open the Bible to Matthew chapter 1. It's the very first book in the New Testament. The Old Testament basically is the story of God working amongst His people... And the Old Testament was continually pointing toward one who would come. The Old Testament was continually kept pointing to the one who would one day come as Savior of the world. Genesis through Malachi, there's this continual emphasis of pointing to the future, pointing to one who would come one day to be Savior of the world. That was the Old Testament. And then the New Testament opens up with these words, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew opened his book with a, a careful account of the birth of Jesus Christ and the events that accompanied it. But most of the time when we read the story of Christmas and when we read the gospel story of Jesus, most of the time we don't begin in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. Most of the time if we're reading the Christmas story in the book of Matthew, we begin in chapter 1 verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18 says, This is how the birth of Jesus came about. 
And you read about the story. And that's a good place to start the Christmas story, right? Because it says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. That's a great place to start the Christmas story. The problem is, that's not where God started the Christmas story. You see, we skip the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1 most of the time because we see them as irrelevant. But it's interesting that God thought they were irrelevant. God included the first 17 verses, the verses that we skip, the verses that we don't understand, the names we can't pronounce, the list of genealogy that just looks like something we, we don't understand and, or concerned with. We skip all of that because it just doesn't seem relevant to us. But God thought they were important enough to start the entire New Testament with those words. So let's look at the text today and see why they are so significant. You know, we will have to admit, I will admit to you that for most of us, genealogy is a, a meaningless list of names. But you need to know who Matthew was writing to. Matthew was writing to Jewish people, Jewish converts, Jewish Christians. And he was writing to convince them and other potential Jewish converts that Jesus was the King, their Savior, their Messiah. He was writing to convince Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Promised One, that the, that the Old Testament pointed to, Matthew was writing to Jews to say, here he is. This is the one the Old Testament pointed to. And since the Jews always place great emphasis on genealogy, in other words, the Jew would say, if you claim to be king of the Jews, show us some proof. Show us your, your genealogy. Show us your lineage. That's why Matthew starts as he does. And so Matthew begins with these words, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The son of David could be translated the descendant of David. It was a popular Jewish title for the coming Messiah. In fact, if you like to make notes in your Bible, you might want to make that note. It was a popular title for the coming Messiah. The Jews often spoke of the son of David. And when they spoke of the son of David, they were speaking about the coming Messiah. Let me show you that in, in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 9. Go over to Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. Many references we could look at. I'll just show you two. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us. What did they call him? Son of David. They did not say, have mercy on us, Jesus. But they said, have mercy on us, Son of David. They recognized, even at that time, they were saying, we believe you are the one the Old Testament pointed to. We believe you are the one the Old Testament promised us. We believe you're the one we've been looking for. So they called him Son of David. It was a messianic title. Let me show you another example. In uh, chapter 12, verse 22 and 23 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. It says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? Could this be? Messiah? That's what they were saying. Son of David was a popular Jewish title for the coming Messiah. Now, why was it 
was he known as son of David? Why was that known as a messianic title? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, but in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised to David that he would have an everlasting kingdom, that he'd have an eternal kingdom. God promised David there would be one who would sit on his throne forever. That's why the New Testament opens with these words. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David. Uh, Matthew was saying, this is the one who is to sit on the throne forever. This is the one who will have an eternal kingdom. This is the one the Old Testament pointed to. This is the Messiah, the promised Son of God. This is the one you've been looking for. You know what he was saying to all of us? He was saying, I want you to know something. As I tell you the story of Jesus, this is no ordinary story. As I tell you about the birth of Jesus, this is not the story of an ordinary Jewish baby. There was a miracle in the manger. That's what he was saying. But he not only referred to him as the son of David, he also referred to him in another way in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Look again at the text. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, and then he refers to him as the son of Abraham, or a descendant of Abraham. Now, why would that reference be so important? Because in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis chapter 12. And that promise seemed to hang in the air because it was not fulfilled during the life of Abraham. Nor was it fulfilled in the life of Isaac, Abraham's son. Nor was it fulfilled in the life of Jacob, his son. Nor was it fulfilled during any of Abraham's immediate descendants. That promise, all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. That promise just seemed to hang there in the air, unfulfilled. So when the New Testament opens with these words, Jesus Christ, son of Abraham, it was another way of saying, this is the one promised. This is the one that God spoke to Abraham about. This is the one the Old Testament started pointing to in Genesis. It was Matthew's way of saying, listen, ladies and gentlemen, there is a miracle in the manger. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Now, there's one other thing I want to point out to you about this genealogy before we move on. There's several other things we could look at, but there's just one other thing I want to point out to you before we move on. And that is throughout the genealogy, there is a direct connection between father and son. You see it, for example, in verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. There's a direct connection between father and son throughout the entire genealogy until you get to verse 16. In verse 16, the wording changes. Verse 16, and Jacob the father of Joseph, and here's where the wording changes, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, if they were going to stay with the form, they would have written it this way. Jacob, the father of Joseph, Joseph, the father of Jesus. That is not what it says. No, the text says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Isn't that interesting? There's no mention of Jesus having an earthly father. There is no mention in the genealogy of Jesus having a human father. His birth was completely different from any other birth because his life was completely different from any other life. Verse 16, it says, Of whom 
was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Of whom was born one who is called Christ. I want to make sure that you understand what that name Christ means. It's not his last name. You know, we see Jesus Christ together. We think, okay, Jesus is his first name, Christ is his last name. No, that's not what it is. Jesus is his earthly name. Christ is the name that identifies who he is. Christ, the word Christ means Messiah. It means anointed one. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. And they both mean the same thing. Both in Greek and in Hebrew, the word simply means the anointed one. And so we read verse 16. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was born Jesus, who is called Christ, Messiah, anointed one. So how did this anointed one enter our world? Well, he entered the world the same way that you did. This is the interesting part of the story. He entered the world the same way that you did. He was born into it, just like you were born into it. He had a human earthly mother, just like you had a human earthly mother. He was born into the world. But there was one difference. One difference between the way you were born and the way he was born. One major difference between his birth and ours. And we read about it beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah... Jesus' anointed one came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child, watch this, with child through the Holy Spirit. Well, if you mark your Bible, that'd be a great phrase to mark. Through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to, to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. When Joseph woke up he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her. He did not have sex with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus was born of an earthly mother without the need of an earthly father. Let me say that again. Jesus was born of an earthly mother without the need of an earthly father. And we call that the virgin birth. He said, now pastor, do you really believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? I mean, I've heard other people say, I've heard scholars say, that that, you know, that, that word virgin can be translated young maiden. And it really isn't indicating at all that Jesus was a virgin. It's indicating that she was just a young maiden. She was a young lady. Pastor, do you really believe he was born of a virgin, born of an earthly mother without, the, without an earthly father? Yes, I do. And I want to tell you something. Listen carefully to me. I don't care if you hear anything else. I want you to hear this. If he was not born of a virgin, he could not be your Savior. And if you do not believe he was born of a virgin, you probably are not saved. Because you've put your faith in one who is not the eternal Son of God. 
Listen to me. If Christ were not conceived and born by the Holy Spirit, if He was conceived and born just like any other baby, He could not be God. David Jeremiah said, if Jesus had entered the world through a natural human reproduction, He would have simply been one more child of this fallen world. Just one more child of this fallen world. That's all He would have been. By a miracle of the Holy Spirit, He was conceived in the womb of Mary who was a virgin. And when Mary laid baby Jesus in the hay that night, she was laying a miracle in the manger. You say, well, Pastor, that's interesting, but why does it matter? Because I need a miracle on my street. Why does it matter? I'm glad you asked that question. Look with me in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. They will call him. In other words, this, uh, the angel said to Joseph, you are to call him Jesus, but they will call him Emmanuel. Who's they? The people that would see him later. The people that would listen to what he taught. The people that would see him perform miracles. The people that would walk with him and follow him. The people who, who ate with him and, and listened to him and inter, interacted with him. The people who saw him and watched him and listened to him would one day say, that's not just another person. I've never heard anybody speak like that. I've never seen another man do what he does. Never heard anybody teach like he teaches. I've never seen anybody raise the dead before. That's not just any other person. That is Emmanuel. That is God with us. See, the essence of Christianity is this Jesus is God. He's not just part of God. He's not just sent from God. He's not just related to God. Jesus is God. He is God with us. And there's three names for Him in this text. And I've already alluded to all of those, but let me mention them again. There's three names for Him in this text. One is the name Jesus, which is the name we often use, and and I've used it several times, and we've read it. And then the name Christ, and I told you what that means. It, It means anointed one, Messiah. But then that name Emmanuel. That name Emmanuel is very important to us, especially at this time of year. Because some of you need a miracle on your street. And you need to know that He's not just Jesus. And He's not just Messiah. But you need to know that He is God with you. Emmanuel. See, I was thinking about some of you who have lost loved ones this year. This is your first Christmas without that special person that was in your life for so long. Some of you are dealing with heartaches and difficulties that some people don't even know about. And some of you have got problems that there just don't seem to be a lot of answers for. And have you ever noticed that how problems and difficulties seem amplified at Christmas? How grief seems amplified at Christmas, how marriage problems seem amplified at Christmas, of course, how financial problems seem amplified at Christmas. It just seems like the Christmas season amplifies all the difficult things that we go through. What you need and what we need is to hear from God today. 
I want to tell you two things about that phrase, God with us. I want to just break down that little phrase before we leave. I want to start with the ending of that phrase, with us. Ladies and gentlemen, the hope of Christmas is that we do not have to face life alone. Underline those words if you like, with us. See, if the manger shows us anything, it shows us how much God loves us, that He wants to be with us. His love for us is not just words. His His love for us is not just a theological concept. His love for us is very real. When Jesus was born, God was saying, you matter to me. I will not stay up in heaven somewhere where you can't reach me. I'll come to where you are. You matter to me. God wants you to know that today. He wants you to know that you are important to Him. Christmas reminds us of the proximity of God's love. The proximity of God that He is so very near to us. And if you only think of God as in heaven, if you only think of God as as in church, if that's the only place you experience God, you've missed the God He wants to be to you. You've missed the meaning of Christmas. The manger declares that God is personal. God is personal. You see, when you know God personally, He's with you at the lunch table. When you know God personally, He's with you in the doctor's office. He's with you in the lawyer's office. He is with you when you're lonely. He's with you when you're grieving. He is with you when you've got problems with your children. He is with you when you're worried. He is with you when you're overwhelmed. He is God who is with you. Now you know that, right? This is not new information. But, what if you lived this week like it was really real? What if this week, you reminded yourself, He really is God with me. I'm not alone. He's with me right now. He's with me in this difficult time. He's with me as I'm trying to decide make this huge decision. He's with me as I'm trying to deal with my grief. He is with me right here, right now. What would it be like if you lived life that way with the awareness He is with me right here, right now? Most of you probably have heard this past Friday we had to say goodbye to another dear church member. Steve Brown passed away Friday afternoon. And I was with Steve and his family during that time and I was there for several hours and somewhere in that process I I was standing at his bed, the foot of his bed. And maybe it was because I was working on the message. Maybe it was because I have Christmas on my mind. I I don't know. But but I stood there and and I knew that he was near the end of his life and and I was watching his dear wife and his daughter and, and I was standing there thinking, I didn't say anything out loud to them, but I was standing there thinking, I am so glad that He is God with us. So glad that there was a Christmas. So glad there was a Christmas. Because that has made the difference in that situation. You see, we're not insulated from life's problems. Tragic things happen to good people. Unexpected things happen. Heartbreaking things happen. We are not insulated from life's problems. But the message from the manger is this. We are not isolated in them either. He is God with us. 
In fact, He has promised, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But not only is He God with us, but the first part of that phrase you need to maybe circle in your Bible. If you've underlined with us, maybe you want to circle the word God. You see, the hope of Christmas is that we can turn to the one who is greater than we are. God with us. He's God with us. The foundational, miraculous truth that we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus was God in the skin of man. There is hope for the hurting heart because God is here to help us. I want you to know something. Listen to me carefully. I want to be your pastor, and I want to be there when you need me the most, and I want to help you all that I can, but there are some days when I am there and I feel so helpless. There are some days when I'm there and I don't have the right words. I don't have the magic formula. I can't make it all better. But I want you to know something. God is there too. And you can turn to the one who is greater than I am. You can turn to the one who is greater than anybody else. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. See, one of the difference between religion and a personal walk with Christ is that in religion, you come to see God on Sundays. But when you have a personal walk with Christ, He is God with me on Monday. The hope of Christmas is that we can turn to the One who is greater than we are. God's saying, when your life is more than you can handle, give it to me. Come to me. In fact, Jesus is the one who later said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Some of you need a miracle on your street. You need the one who was that miracle in the manger because he is still God with us today. Let's pray together about that. Would you join me? I don't know what you need to do today. I'm sure that there are some here today who you've nearly lost hope. And maybe you just need to remind yourself throughout this week, God with me. God is with me. God is with me here. God is with me now. God is with me through this. God with me. Or some of you perhaps want to come to this altar and just bring your hurting heart to God. And you'll find that there is hope for your hurting heart. You'll find that there is hope in the one who is greater than you are. God's not some kind of a spiritual fix that you get when you come to church and then you go back to the real world to live. God can be part of that real world that you live in. And that is the hope of Christmas. He's part of the world you live in. Do you know Him personally? Do you have a personal relationship with Him? You can start that today. You can ask Him to be your Lord and your Savior today. He didn't just come so that we would have a Christmas celebration. He came to change your life. He came to forgive you of your sins, to be the sacrifice that you need. 
And we'll talk about that more next Sunday, but some of you perhaps want to respond to that today. And say, I need Jesus Christ to be with me and in me and help me. I'm going to ask you to come to this invitation to receive Christ. Come to this altar to pray. Or come to join our church as God leads you. Father, in the name of Jesus, grateful that you are the one who is not confined to the heavenly realms. But in the miracle of the manger, you came to be with us. And I pray for those who are hurting and those who are grieving. Those who are struggling. May you be their source of strength today. May you be their hope. May you be their help. May you give them peace. May you give them the, the desire to continue. And the hope that life will change. In Christ's name I pray.